This weekend on Gesundheit with Jacobus, I will spend some time with Aaron Chamberlain. Aaron is working with Energy Medicine, which doesn't look at disease symptoms as just symptoms, but as an expression of what lies beneath our conscious surface. Certain emotions, trauma, accidents, or relationships can have a strong effect on our physical body and mind. Here, Aaron Chamberlain explain her journey. It's Gesundheit with Jacobus. Gesundheit with Jacobus, Health Talk Radio, integrating allopathic and all-natural medicine one show at a time. Here is your host, Jacobus Hollowine. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm glad to be back with you. I'm glad to be back in the studio. I hope you're all doing well. So here we are talking about health, healing, and healthy lifestyles every Saturday morning. Now, my show today will be about mental and emotional health. And between 9 and 11, I have Erin Chamberlain on the program. She will be coming in at 9. And so the first hour we have with just uh, the uh, the two of us, I should say, because it's you and me and not all of us, but we, we can talk about different things. So here we are. We're talking about health, healing, and healthy lifestyles. That's what the word Gesundheit means. It's a German word, health or good health. And we have the experts on let them talk about what they do for a living, research they're doing, a book they've written, or anything they want to talk about because I just love to pick their brain. Uh, many people in the health field, to me, are very bright and interesting and interested in what humans are. It doesn't matter if these are therapists, the uh, clinical nutritionists, uh, medical doctors, naturopaths, PhDs, masters in science, whatever they are, if they are interested in health, healing, and healthy lifestyles, how to improve life, and, and, and being able to explain it to us and explain the nuances that we need to understand in our own being, then I think that is always fascinating to have them on the show. And so Aaron Chamberlain is going to talk about the emotion, the emotion code, a very interesting uh, research done by Dr. Robert Nelson. But I thought, because some people, when they hear about emotions, they go, well, I don't know what I can believe about that, and it's just a bunch of wooey. So I thought I would like to talk to you in the first hour about a book that I'm reading. I'm not done yet. It's a long ways from done. No, a long way. Well, it's a long ways from done. But it's, uh, for me, it is, uh, it, it, it's a very, very interesting book. It's called The Body Keeps the Score. The Body Keeps the Score. It is written by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, who is actually from Dutch descent. He, he moved here, I think, in the late 60s. And um, he, is, he is in Massachusetts, and he's working over there and studying over there. And The Body Keeps the Score, it says in the subtitle, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma. And I thought I would like to go through this book. And, and I have a feeling that because there is so much to this book, I may just do a whole show on it. And not today. 
but I, I thought I would like to introduce you to some of the concepts and research that Dr. Bessel van der Kolk has done that gives has given me a lot of insight in already in how the brain functions and how many times physical and emotional problems that we have are also have a cause and can be explained and can actually be healed. And Dr. van der Kolk is not somebody who, in the beginning, he was into prescription drugs because that's what he learned. But he realized more and more that it wasn't for everybody. And so he started working with different techniques. Now, I haven't gone through all the techniques yet, but he is very open because he is somebody, as a researcher and as a practitioner, is somebody who is always keeping his eyes and ears open. And the references that he makes in his book to colleagues, uh, both domestic and foreign, are fascinating. He is intrigued by the human mind. And The Body Keeps the Score is a book that will, that I personally, if you have any traumas or PTSD or aches, pains from that you don't know what it's coming from and it has really affected you in your body and your mind and even in your spirit i highly recommend you check this book out the uh, bessel van der kolk k-o-l-k k-o-l-k uh, medical doctor the body keeps the score now want to keep in mind that as we discuss health healing, and healthy lifestyles. The purpose of the program has always been education, information, and hopefully some entertainment. It's not that I'm sitting over here and or Erin, when she comes in from 9 to 11, that we are here to diagnose, treat, or cure. Now, can we start triggering responses in you? Of course. Uh, sometimes when you hear things, you go, this is really interesting. I want to do. More. I want to know more about it, and you start doing your own research. That is great because we are all individuals who have the power to read, to learn, to improve every day. And are we using that uh, that privilege? Are we using that 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 gift that we have of all the different animals out there? Uh, no, we have free choice. So free choice is there for you to make your own path, to draw your own path and walk on that path and go forward from there. And I I do hope that you find it in yourself to say, hey, you know, this is something, not today maybe, but this is something I, I can work on this. And you start making some changes in your life. And trust me, you will start seeing improvements uh, very rapidly, often very rapidly. So if you'd like to get in touch with me today on Gesundheit with Jacobus, my name, Jacobus Holloway, uh, 406-522-8255, 522-TALK. Now, um, I, this morning I was looking for the special code that I need to use for you to send me messages to the uh, message app, and I told you in the past that that is where we're going. We're going to get away from the text messaging. <clears throat> we're going to go into messaging on the app. So what is the app? If you have a mobile device, you can download that. It is AM 
1450 KMMS. Couldn't be more simple for all of you regular listeners out there. Now, we're also broadcasting live over the internet at KMMSAM.com. And uh, I appreciate all of you listening either over your device, with your device, or through your um, website on your computer. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Wherever you are, I hope you are doing well. And I hope you will enjoy today's program. So I always recommend that if you, when you're done with the show, listening to your show, that you see, if needed, a specialist of your choice, somebody you like and feel comfortable with, and let that person help you to be the best you you can be. Now, the... Let me see here. There is some. Uh, so this is so Dr. Von der Kolk. Let me let me first get a sip of my brown drink here. Ah, today is good. I got some uh, nice coffee. So Bessel von der Kolk. The um, what he says in the beginning, which is. Um, you know, a fun part of this is that I, all of a sudden, I got involved in a little bit of Facebook. I saw somebody on Facebook, and I um, I want to read it. I'm not going to mention who it's from. It doesn't matter. Maybe the person is listening. Maybe not. It doesn't matter. It, it is just when it comes to mental health, when it comes to emotional health, Many of us have our own opinion about what that is and what you can do about it. And that is free will. We can do that. It is just fascinating that I glance on this post and the reactions that came with it. And that because I was reading this book, I went, oh my goodness, this is so interesting that the timing is there that I happen to read this now while I'm reading the book and I'm totally intrigued by the knowledge and the the way Dr. Bessel von der Kolk uses words in his book, The Body Keeps the Score, that I was reading this from almost, well, I was reading this from a different mind already. My mind was already changing as I was reading his research and the references that he has, and then read this. So here's the book, The Body Keeps the Score, subtitled Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma. And this post starts, it says, I am really tired of all this talk of quote-unquote depression. You are not depressed. You're just indulging in and dwelling on particular thoughts that are affecting your mental, emotional, and psychological well-being. Cut it out and watch what happens. Now, I have sat down with people in the store who tell me that they are depressed. I'm going to go into this uh, article more, this, this Facebook, these Facebook posts more. But... I have sat down with people who tell me they're depressed and then I ask them what happened and if they are well, if they're able to talk about it and 
I often find that people have just, they lost a job or they felt sick or they've gained weight lately and they just don't, the body image is down and they've gone to a doctor and explaining the doctor says, well, you're just depressed. And, and I go, well, in my opinion, you're not depressed. You're just going through a rough time. Let's work through this time and see if there is something that we can start today in our, in our awareness, in our consciousness that may switch, switch you in the way you feel about yourself. And I often have found that people are being put on antidepressants when they really have a, a thyroid issue or when they're going through some grieving because of some changes in life and or the cat died or something. It doesn't matter. What, whatever that trauma is for anybody, it's everybody's choice of it's everybody's uh, experience. And so I try to help by explaining different scenarios and people say, you know, I, I be honest with you, when I sat there and the doctor said, I'm depressed, I was shocked because I don't feel depressed. I was just, they really felt they're going through a rough time. And so I, I go, okay, this is, this is interesting. Let's, uh, let's talk about this further. And the, these, are, these are things that you have to keep in mind. I, I'm not saying that a person is not depressed. If somebody comes to me and says they've been depressed and I ask them, have you have any feeling how long it's been going? And they say, oh, as long as I know. And how old are you? 50. Okay, so you've been depressed for 50 years. Well, that is really, really rough. And I'm not going to tell those people why well, you're not depressed. But people will tell me, well, yeah, since October, I'm in on, on antidepressants because uh, uh, the doctor thought I was depressed. Well, interesting. But anyway, so then the quote continues. It says, let's talk about depression, quote unquote. Unless you have a chemical imbalance in your brain, your so-called depression is simply your indulgence in uncontrolled thought. And this is why I emphasize the necessity to begin the process that leads to self-mastery in that realm, choosing to engage or not engage in the thoughts that arise is the most basic ability on the road to transcending your human aspect and embodying consciousness with the capital C to the maximum degree, liberating yourself from suffering. Because all your suffering is the result of uncontrolled thought, period. Because all your suffering is the result of uncontrolled thought, period. So you can stop spending your hard-earned cash on seminars or therapy, which is another indulgence, and begin to take responsibility for developing your own awareness with capital A. If you think you're depressed or whatever, start paying attention to the thoughts as they arise and stop allowing yourself to be taken for that ride you've been so willing to go on. You have the power to choose to engage or not. Start using it so you can pull yourself out of the hole you've dug and start living as a conscious, capital C, conscious human. So this was an interesting post, and then different people started to react. But I want to jump, therefore, on the book, The Body Keeps the Score, because Bessel van der Kolk 
is saying, uh, he, he, he's talking about a Vietnam vet by the name of Tom and who, uh, who he met late 70s, mid late 70s after the war was over and he had come back. But the traumas that he had experienced over there where he was the head of a platoon, he, was, uh, he, was, uh, he had eight men with him. And uh, as they came into some kind of a rice paddy and bullets were flying all over them before, so they felt pretty comfortable. They got on the rice field. All of a sudden, there were shots coming from all directions. And literally, he said, within seconds, all his eight men were dead. He was the only one who survived. Now, I don't know how he escaped. That is not part of the story. But this man has had trauma from that experience. I mean, in a way. You're scared as HIT when you are sitting over there and you see those bullets fly and you see heads blown off and you see really, really deep trauma that can affect you and you realize you're the one who's left. Uh, the body is going through change. You know, how we have seen, probably have seen movies where men, for example, are threatened so much with a gun to the head or... Um, uh, they're, they're tortured to the point where they literally relieve themselves. They either have bowel movement or they urinate on themselves. And there is no more control of bodily functions. Uh, the, it, 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 Bessel von der Kork explains it. We talk about the fight or flight mode, and he, he is talking about that this is a moment whereby you actually, your reaction is you go completely numb you 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 may or may not feel the pain but you you have you realize that you're so stuck you cannot escape if you can escape if you were to see a door and you can run through it or you can run away from the bear or whatever you do it if not you freeze and you you go into this state of um complete um how do you call it? Um, complete. Um, you you can well. How do I say? You you cannot control yourself. That that's the bottom line, and it, it's 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 everything just comes out, and that is how the body reacts. So it is an interesting concept as we are going through this, uh, uh, trying to understand this. Um, I'm looking at something over here. I'm sorry, folks. I tried to get uh, something set up for you and uh, that, we, that we need to discuss in just a moment. And uh, I am so sorry. I'm trying to explain this to you. And so here we go. In any case, I, l let me tell you what Vessel von der Kork writes about it. He says, you know, to, to understand why... Things are changing. Why certain events have such an effect on us, on our well-being, on who we are and how things work. He says, the birth of three new branches of science has led to an explosion of knowledge about the effects of psychological trauma, abuse, and neglect. These new disciplines are neuroscience, which is the study of how the brain supports mental processes. Then we have developmental psychopathology, which is the study of the impact of adverse experiences on the development of mind and brain. 
So again, neuroscience, the study of how the brain supports mental processes. Developmental psychopathology, the study of the impact of adverse experiences on the development of mind and brain. And then we have interpersonal neurobiology, which is the study of how our behavior influences the emotions, biology, and mindsets of those around us. And he says, research from these new disciplines have reveal, has revealed that trauma produces actual physiological changes, including a recalibration of the brain's alarm system, an increase in stress hormone activity, and alterations in the system that filters relevant information from irrelevant. We now know that trauma compromises the brain area that communicates the physical embodied feeling of being alive. So trauma compromises the brain area that communicates the physical embodied feeling of being alive. These changes explain why traumatized individuals become hypervigilant to threat at the expense of spontaneously engaging in their day-to-day lives. They also help us understand why traumatized people so often keep repeating the same problems and have such trouble learning from experience. We now know that their behavior are, are not the result of moral failings or signs of lack of willpower or bad character. They are caused by actual changes in the brain. So again, here I we talk about the facebook post that i got was reading this week while i was reading the book and it literally says choosing to engage or not engage in the thoughts that arise is the most basic ability on the road to transcending your human aspect and embodying consciousness to the maximum degree liberating yourself from suffering obviously it is not completely possible to do that but we'll continue with that after the break stay tuned please we will be right back Um, I, w- I was talking about this comment on the um, on Facebook, and so there's discussion that follows about uh, somebody who says, "I'm really tired of all this talk of depression. You're not depressed. You're just indulging in and dwelling on particular thoughts that are affecting your mental, emotional, and psychological well-being. Cut it out." And watch what happens. And so I, I made a comment that I said, well, look at that clip from uh, Bob Newart uh, on YouTube. It's called Stop It. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's funny. It's a very funny bit. Uh, Dr. Spenziano once told me about it and I watched it. It was just funny. So, uh, but anyway, that, that uh, and I was, you know, yesterday I was going to write a long answer that uh, what I'm really... Uh, that I'm reading this book and that this book is is showing me that the science, which many people in the alternative field have a tendency to not care so much about science when it is so-called Western medicine. Um, We feel that all the answers are already found in nature, and I'm not saying they're not, but you got to keep in mind, we as human beings, as have changed so much in the last three to four thousand years. If you just look at the last seventy years, how we seventy 
years that how we have changed if you realize that the iphone has only been around for 12 years not even 12 years and then you realize how that has changed life how we do things uh, how we communicate with each other how impatient we become when somebody doesn't react right away to what we say iphones mobile phones Whatever phone you have, uh, 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 LG or, uh, you know, uh, whatever phone you have, Samsung, they're all into Facebook. Everybody is doing social media, texting, uh, research. The time for research seems to have been minimized because it is so important we stay up to date with the Joneses and that we realize what's going on. The stars of today are people who have found a niche in the market where we find out that people like the gossip, people like to identify. We 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 have these um, um, we have these archetypes. We have the archetypes of individuals who we, we who we like to dwell on or who we like to follow or who we are intrigued by because of something they have done, but nothing per se to a society um, as a whole. Here is a man who writes a book about research 40 years, 30 years. At the time he wrote the book, he's done it for 40 years. 40 years where he himself says that the only reason why he could write this is because of his patience. He said, because the people who were able and willing to open up to me and to give me insights in how it functions and who were willing to go through the MRIs, to go through the testing and to, to, to let when the experimentation that was done whereby uh, these, these, these stickers are put on your brain and on your heart and on your pulse and, and MRIs, like I said, you go lay in this imaging machine and it, takes, it watches the brain go through changes as you are being confronted with certain sounds, smells, pictures, movies, um, thoughts, what happens to the brain. So it is not just talking about something that may or may not be there. No, the science actually proves that something changes and that how we react to trauma is very uh, different between the different people. And so he says over here, and, and I wanted to read, finish this part. So I talked about the hypervigilance in people, and he says, the challenge is this. How can people gain control over the residues of past trauma? So how can people gain control over the residues of past trauma and return to being masters of their own ship? Talking, understanding, and human connections help, and drugs can dampen hyperactive alarm systems. But we will also see in this book that the imprints from the past can be transformed by having physical experiences that directly contradict the helplessness, 
rage and collapse that are part of trauma and thereby regaining self-mastery. I have no preferred treatment modality as no single approach fits everybody, but I practice all the forms of treatment that I discuss in this book. Each one of them can produce profound changes depending on the nature of the particular problem and the makeup of the individual person. Um, then he's talking about this, this, this guy, Tom, this soldier, Tom, and he mentions other people. It's just, oh, goodness gracious. I mean, reading this, um, your heart goes out to these people, uh, the, the pain and suffering that they have brought forth. And, and I realized that a Dr. von der Kolk, to pick the people who have affected him so much is very, uh, these must be the ones that he said they just stood out. I mean, Tom, apparently this, this, this uh, veteran, Vietnam vet, uh, who was a very successful lawyer and, and a father of a uh, uh, husband and father. But this is, this was an interesting thing that I, I was, was so intrigued by. And I want to see if you are as well, is that, when he asked him, he asked him, Tom, I want you to take these medications because they had just, um, let me see, where does he say it? It was really great. Well, I, I'll just, I remember. So he says, listen, I want to try these medications on you. And he said, I, I give this a try because it's new, but the research shows it's pretty good stuff. And so Tom says, okay, I'll take it. I mean, again, he's, a, he's an attorney. He, he, he himself talks about how he sometimes sees himself standing. It's almost like he stands, he's out of his body. He watches this guy, who was himself, in the courtroom making these amazing plea agreements and, and, and uh, the vocabulary that he uses is fascinating in his, in, the, in his cases that he works on. And he says, who is this guy? Because at home... Around the 4th of July, firecrackers, uh, certain noises, certain smells totally take him right back to Vietnam, to that rice paddy where his eight guys, all of them got killed, and where his his uh, best friend, he calls him his best friend, who only they knew each other for a few weeks, but that was the guy he connected with the most, had his, his head blown off, and he said, that is a... A visual that stays with me. And so weeks go by and he comes back to his therapy session to Dr. Van der Kolk and Tom and, and Van der Kolk says, how's the medication working? He said, well, I'm not taking it. And he said, well, why are you not taking it? We're trying this out and see if it works. And he says, because I understand what you're saying about the medication, but if I take this medication, it is like me leaving my friends alone leaving him behind in the rice paddy. And at that point, Dr. Van der Kolk says, wow. So even though life has moved on, well, 10, 12 years past Vietnam, he says emotionally, he has not changed. He has not moved past that one moment that caused the trauma. So everything comes back. He, he, he feels 
that if he were to take the medication, realizing that the medication can have a strong effect on the way he can function from this point forward, he feels the code, you know, I got your six, as they say, that they he would leave his friends behind, the story would be done, and it would not be told again because it is going to be tried to be erased from the memory. And and he says, no, I cannot do that because I'm the only survivor and I have to pass on the story. So then Dr. Van der Kolk is talking about other cases, about women uh, who at a young age would be choked while they're being raped by somebody either in a gang or by an uncle or a neighbor or an older brother or a dad, they would literally be choked. So while they're being raped, to have that feel being abused by somebody who you trust, how that starts to affect the rest of your life in relationships to other people, adjust the body language that some people have as far as um, going. There's one story uh, about a couple, and and I'll get back to this. There's one story about a couple who gets involved in a car accident, a horrible pileup. I mean, uh, fog uh, comes on. I mean, literally within 10 seconds, there is this fog that shows up. They can barely see in front of him. The, the, the husband is driving. The, he steps on the brake, runs into another car. There is a pileup. There is a semi-truck that lands on top of them. It's amazing that they actually survived. By the time the, the fireman came and, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the husband is both, both were alive. They're, they're almost unscathed as they come out of this car. Must have been either a Volvo or a Saab or something because those cars are pretty strong. They have an amazing frame. But as they come out, the husband comes out and he is, um, he crawls out of the window of the, the, when, the, when the fireman... Uh, oh, so, uh, first of all, there is, a, there is a girl upside down in a car who is banging on the window. So, they see you. So, I don't know how these cars were all piled up. But you can get a slight visual. These cars are all piled up. And you get this girl going like, please help me, help me, help me, while her, the car is on fire. And literally, they, they, they're stuck. They cannot get out. And they see the flames just literally burn this girl to death uh, right in front of their eyes. And that is traumatic. And then by the time the firemen come and cut him out of the car, then he turns around to look at his wife and she is completely numb. She's like, she doesn't say anything. She just stares in front of her. Uh, They literally have to kind of grab her and take her out and she doesn't react while the husband is crawling out and climbing out and trying to help and do whatever. So years go by and testing is being done. Brain scans are being done. And they talk about the different, the, the frontal cortex and the amygdala, amygdala and the, uh, the hypothalamus and the thalamus and the, the pituitary gland and all these things that you can see 
and you see in his brain that certain things light up. And they explain that how the right side is more lit up than the left side, and the right uh, left is is uh, um, um, left is more linear thinking, uh, analytical thinking. Right is creative thinking, and so. His right side is all lit up because he has all these visuals and 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 things he cannot do anything about, but he, just the emotions, how it works. And when they do a scan of hers, it's almost blank. And they go like, "How? What? What is this? How is this possible?" And as they're talking to her in therapy, they find out that she, as a young girl, would watch her dad scream at her mom and and then you know and hit her mom and so she witnessed that and it was absolutely traumatic the people you trust the most are literally beating each other up so to say and then when the father would be gone the mother would attack the girl and would would put her in a closet and 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 spank her and and not feed her and do things to her and so what the girl's survival mechanism was at the time was to literally just shut the brain off and just go within uh go within if if that's the right word i don't know uh but literally go numb and so what happened is in this decades later, here she is married and she has a life and I don't know if she has children, but at this moment, this impact in this fog with this 37 car pileup, this semi truck on top of you, this, this girl burning in front of you, the only way this woman can survive this kind of trauma is to go completely numb and she just shuts the brain off and so how did they find this out because they put them in these brain scans these mris and when they they have an they have a way to repeat stories kind of what these people have said and they tell the story and they literally or a story like it and then watch how the brain is affected by this trauma so as the husband goes in the mri he he actually um starts to sweat and he gets all excited his heart rate goes up his brain is just moving around and you know affected and he comes out of there and he's a tough guy and he was the one who crawled out and helped tried to help the uh the fireman uh as he came out and then helped his wife out he was totally said, my God, he said, I am just sweating. And I just, this whole thing just came back to me. And oh, goodness gracious. And she had nothing. And when they asked her, she said, I, I don't think of anything. It, it didn't relay anything to me. And that was such a fascinating thing to hear that, um, that was to me that was very interesting uh in any case now um before we go to the break and we get aaron uh chamberlain coming in at nine o'clock uh was interesting that over here on page uh 20 he says um 
In my new job, I was confronted on an almost daily basis with issues I thought I had left behind at the VA. My experience with combat veterans had so sensitized me to the impact of trauma that I now listened with a very different ear when depressed and anxious patients told me stories of molestation and family violence. I was particularly struck by how many female patients spoke of being sexually abused as children. This was puzzling, as the standard textbook of psychiatry at the time stated that incest was extremely rare in the United States, occurring about once in every million women. Now, given that there were then only about 100 million million women living in the United States, 100 million women living in the United States, I wondered how 47, because if you take one in a million, so if you have 100 million, that means one in a million, 100 women, 100 women would have been affected by incest. He said, then I wondered how 47, which is almost half of them, had found their way to my office in the basement of the hospital. Furthermore, the textbook said, there is little agreement about the role of the father-daughter incest as a source of serious subsequent psychopathology. My patients with incest histories were hardly free of subsequent psychopathology. They were profoundly depressed, confused, and often engaged in bizarrely self-harmful behaviors, such as cutting themselves with razor blades. The textbooks went on to practically endorse incest, explaining that, quote, such incestuous activity diminishes the subjects, the patients, the subjects' chance of psychosis and allows for a better adjustment to the external world. In fact, as it turned out, incest has devastating effects on women's well-being. So, again, we see a big change in the way mental health and emotional health is being treated. The fact of the matter is, it is scientifically proven that trauma can affect the body, the physical body, can affect the emotions forever, and can truly affect us who we are. And I, I think, therefore, that um, when Aaron Chamberlain is coming in and talks about the emotion code, that you will have a better understanding that science is backing all this up. So please stay tuned. This is Gesundheit with Jacobus. We'll be right back. In a, the near future, I will probably spend an hour on this, and I will try to highlight more about the research that is done based on the effect that trauma has on the body, the mind, and the spirit in, in people. And trauma is different for different people. Um, so it's not to be ignored, and I know that I have been uh, naive in the past, uh, I feel not totally understanding when people say they're depressed. I've never personally been in that state of mind. I, uh, you know, we all have hard times, but I, uh, for me, it's always been there is light at the end of the tunnel or the glass is half full or however you want to call it. But for people who have experienced traumatic events in life, either in a car accident or being in the war or 
traumatized uh, through incest or rape or being uh, attacked by people on the street or being part of the 9-11 explosion uh, in New York City, the attacks in New York City, all those are affecting people different ways. And I realize, therefore, that as it affects the body and the mind and the spirit in many people, it is, I'm so glad that I started reading this book because it shows me the science behind it. And even though I'm totally into the natural field of health and healing, trying to inspire people that there is hope and there are possibilities and opportunities, I still think that knowing the science, backing it up, it only enhances the fact that we're on the right track, that we are doing the right thing in the natural health field, but also that the Western or allopathic medical uh, realm is really trying to understand as good as they can what is going on with our body and, and how it is affected by the mind, which is often a field that is not addressed that much uh, enough. You know, So you, you cannot see somebody sitting on a chair and say, oh, that person has Alzheimer's because it doesn't look like it. Or, oh, that person is depressed sitting right there. We don't know that. But if somebody's missing a leg, we go like, oh, shoot, that's pretty bad. You know, somebody has like a, is bleeding. Oh, that's bad. Somebody's blind. Oh, that's bad. But mental health is something that is unseen unless the person starts to act out. And how that comes out, it's usually sideways. And that is what Dr. Von der Kolk is talking about in his book. And the research behind it is really showing that. So anyway, now we are going to talk with Aaron Chamberlain. Aaron is a certified emotion code practitioner. This is an energy healing modality developed by Dr. Bradley Nelson. Uh, this is not how she started, however. I met Aaron about six years ago when she befriended my daughter, Rebecca, while they were both teaching at the Montana State University Honors College. As you will hear Aaron tell her story, she is very studious, quite smart, has great potential. And she has seen doors of opportunity open that have started to make sense into why she has chosen this direction, this calling in her life. She has a, a business. She started a business called uh, Waters Edge Healing, Waters Edge Healing. And the website is watershealingedge.com, which is, by the way, by the way, Aaron, good morning to you. Good morning. <laughs> it's nice to have you. I know as a teacher, as, a, as an educator at school, you should not have any problems talking today. So, <laughs> But why is it called Waters Edge Healing, but then the website is watershealingedge.com? It's a really funny story. Oh, is it? There's a story behind <laughs> there it. There is. I thought it was a misprint. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, Waters Edge Healing is a beautiful name. And the domain for it costs a few thousand dollars, which I did not know when I created the name. Oh, it was already taken by somebody. It's not taken. It just, um, apparently in the world of domains, you can actually create potential future names for people or businesses that don't yeah. already exist. Oh. And then charge more money yeah, for ones that. that have high hit potential yeah 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 so water's edge healing has really high hit potential so i'm saving everyone who comes and visits i'm gonna start a little penny fund to save and buy my actual domain name wow <laughs> so, so we'll get there 
eventually there will be a transfer. For now, we just have to deal with a little dyslexia. Yeah, I, 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 uh, <laughs> I wanted to, when, back in the day, I wanted to start my own website, jacobus.com. I thought, well, it must be easy to get that one. That was taken too. It was $4,000 to buy it. Wow. Yeah, so I, I, I know somebody, you know, you're right. People have already created all these sites yeah. and now they'll sell it to you. It's still business. Yeah. That's a great business. Fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> it is a great business. I guess so. I guess so. Well, good morning to you. Good morning. And happy to be here. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to have you. Um, you have, well, it, it was really interesting, uh, Aaron. You, you, you contacted me and said, you know, I'm doing something and you may be interested in that, maybe something for the show. And so I talked to you and I said, well, usually I would like to have people who have... Uh, a ton of experience with a certain field because I think for the listeners that uh, that people say they dig into it and said, okay, well, that person's done it for 40 years or 30 years. You know, they must really know what they're talking about. But as I was talking to you before the show, uh, you know, when we were setting this up, I I realized two things. There was number one, that, and as you're going to tell the story, you have had a feeling that you were not in the right direction in what you were studying. This was not what you really felt you were supposed to do. It's not that you keep hopping around from one thing to the next. It's just that you did things that you thought were really important. It it helps you. Everything that you do brings you to this point. But at the same time, there comes a point in life when all of a sudden your true calling comes up. And... Are you ready to, like I said, that door of opportunity opens? Are you willing and ready to step through it and say, I'm ready to see what's on the other side and where it's going to take me? And I think that takes a certain maturity to do that, to know when that point happens. And you and I had a chance to tell, to to me to tell a little bit about my story. Mm -hmm. But I feel therefore on a deeper level, you may have this innate capability to do what you're doing and you simply had to find the tool to bring it out and i think therefore that in your telling me your story and hopefully you can do some of that to the listeners so that they understand where you're coming from and why you picked this field and how you may grow from this platform to the next platform, but in the same direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for that. Um, You're welcome. I think it's a really, what I want to do um, is encourage people to follow that call. I think there's a lot that's happening in the world today and a lot of people my age um, who probably won't be doing one thing for the rest of their lives if that's for economic reasons or just because the world is changing so quickly, that's one thing. Um, But also that the way I grew up, you know, energy healing wasn't on the list of potential jobs. Really? (laughs) When I took my... (laughs) That's true. Some, Some people, you're right. Some young people have parents who are, you call it the flower power, 
whatever Absolutely. they have been into yoga and meditation and yeah. smoking a little bit of weed and <laughs> and uh, they think everything is beautiful and colorful and and they pass on a message to the children and the children become it's almost like from day one they're much more open to certain things but yeah. that didn't happen with you that's not happen and that's okay i think um the option for people to come to holistic or alternative healing can happen at any point in life and um I have friends who grew up going to acupuncture and having energy medicine, and that was something that I didn't come to until about six years ago mm-hmm. when I moved back to Bozeman. Um, so I actually grew up in Helena, Montana, and um, I studied at here in Bozeman, and so I lived in Montana my whole life. And when I graduated from the School of Architecture, mm-hmm. I received my master's, and it was 2011. And I decided to move to Denver, where there was more job opportunity. And I actually was able to get an internship at a really large sports architecture firm there. And What's a sports architecture firm? So they do all of the big stadiums. All of oh. the big rec centers. Oh, okay. Um, the project that I worked on was the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs. Yeah. Which was amazing. A bunch of different, but they renovated the majority of that training mm-hmm. facility. Mm-hmm. So that's what sort of led me to the city. And um, Denver was a really challenging experience for me on a lot of different levels. I was stressed out at work. For those that don't know, architecture is a really intense career path. Um, School is... Tough study, too. Yes. A lot of schooling and um, notoriously hard on students. Late nights, many sleepless nights. Yes. Um, And so moving to Denver, there's also this culture in architecture that um, the work isn't over once you graduate. You get to the your internship and you have about three years to quote prove yourself Mm -hmm. and uh, complete all of these intern development hours before you can start studying for licensure which then in and of itself is um, a multi-year process yeah so I my whole life this has been a trend but Denver was no different I heaped a lot of um, stress upon myself trying to jump through these hoops and um, get the work done in the best way that I knew how and the learning curve was steep but um, in the in the background while I was in Denver as well there's just this underlying sense of unrest for me mm-hmm. and was when, it town was too big or was it uh... I now know that cities aren't a great place for me um, to live constantly just because the amount of people the amount of traffic noise the energy, um, the energy, the emotions, the uh, you pick up on that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I didn't know that when I was in Denver. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I remember trying to sort of escape that sensation of um, sort of being on edge or anxious whenever I was in the city by, you know, going hiking. And in moving to Colorado, I thought that that would be something easily accessible, just like I had in Montana, sort of found my place in nature. Um but when I got to trailheads, you know, there would be 100 cars parked and yeah. 
literally some places I got kicked out or I couldn't park because there were too many people physically hiking uh, the trail already. I see, I see. So that um, it was a frustrating experience, and um, I ended up getting really sick. And while I was there, I luckily there were a lot of great um, doctors, and I saw quite a few different specialists, and no one could tell me what was wrong with me. And it was really frustrating. And I was, you know, away from my family, dealing with the stress of this job. And after about 18 months in Denver, I, I didn't know what needed to happen. I just knew I needed to leave. That whatever I was doing wasn't working for me. Huh. So um, I started this really fun process, which I've done a few times in my life now, which was applying for about 30 jobs. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I just threw, cast a wide net. And um, just looking, searching for what the next right thing was for me. And what that ended up being was uh, teaching in the Honors College at MSU, which I now see was such a great gift that got me back to Bozeman. I met Rebecca. um, And I love teaching. It was something I fell in love with in college. Mm -hmm. Um, And so back in Bozeman, I came. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, And then once I was back in Bozeman, um, teaching was sort of the primary um, thing that I was excited about that got me really excited and going again. Yeah. And it was a really tough architectural scene. We were sort of in this recession. Building was really slow. Um, Finances were tough for a lot of people. So that sort of began about four or five years where I was working four plus jobs mm-hmm. per year. I was joking with my dad one year at tax time. He was helping me enter in, input all of my W-2s. And he's like, Aaron, I have no idea what to put for your occupation. <laughs> like, I'm just at a loss. You were a construction worker. You were a teacher. Um, you worked at four different firms. You cleaned at night. And... I was like, well, what if we just put Maverick? (laughs) Oh, I see. I like that. Yeah. (laughs) And that's still where I'm at today. Um, But it's moving in a direction now, which is really exciting. (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. So. Here you're teaching again. And uh, now you're the Maverick. And, you know, (laughs) and and now what happened all of a sudden? What was it? Uh, I know that in your conversation with me, you have said that um, your mom, uh, you're, you're one of triplets, which is an interesting, uh, that doesn't happen very often. It doesn't. But all of you look different, <laughs> right? We do. We all look different. We all, all are very all different. different. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're fraternal. Where do you fit in between the three? Who came out first? You so know. I'm the youngest. You are the youngest. With, how many minutes? Uh, two minutes. There's two minutes. about a minute between each of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, my mom had a C-section, so it was just sort of as fast as we could get out of there. We did. Um, But, yeah, it's really interesting. Growing up with three, you know, your two other best friends is amazing. Um, But it's also just such a funny study in people, right? Because we were all in this same environment and the nurture versus nature um, conversation is really ripe when it, when all three of you are sort of moving through life together. Yeah, totally. Especially the first 18 years, I would say. Yes. Yeah. And uh, actually even past that because we all came to MSU and did our undergraduate together. 
and um, Morgan. Different directions? Different directions, different yeah. studies. And now in life is sort of a time where we truly are in three different places, yeah. um, physically and um, experientially. And it's just so fun. It's so fun to see where each of us are going and how that's evolving. But it's also growing up, uh, our parents did an amazing job encouraging the differences in each of us. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I took piano lessons. One of my sisters took acting lessons. Another one ran track. Um, So we all had a great encouragement to sort of pursue who we were. Mm -hmm. But from the outside, um, our friends, other people who didn't know us very well, we sort of were identified as this unit as the triplets or the Chamberlain triplets. Yeah. And that's just such an interesting study to me. (laughs) Yes. Yes. um, So, yeah. So when I um, moved back to Bozeman, I think one of the biggest um, blessings in my life was that me, you know, looking back, I can see in Denver um, being sick nothing physically wrong with me that anyone could find. All of that was information that my body was trying to give me and my spirit was trying to share with me to wake up. And Mm. um, for me, looking back, I see that a lot of this was um, my spirit trying to take hold um, of my conscious self, um, making me aware of, um, you know, why did I feel this weird energy in Denver Um, why was I so sick, but nothing physically wrong? And it was really a lot about my conscious self getting on board with my spiritual self. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I believe in life. Um, you know, we attract those lessons that we need for our soul's journey to evolve and do the work that it's here to do. And, um, it was that point in life that I started, Calling in all of these incredible people who helped support me in that waking up, started speaking a language about energy and the work of the spirit that I'd never heard before. And I found acupuncture, I found energy healing, and um, something inside of me just stood up and realized that this was a component of life I hadn't been aware of, but it was a big part of who I am. Right. That is, uh, uh, I think that when a moment like that happens, you, uh, uh, it's almost like a light goes on Mm -hmm. and you feel relief and you feel it's almost that you, that things almost immediately become more tangible, Mm -hmm. even though they're not physical. And that, a lot of things start making more sense. Yes. And you start to understand that you just went through this funnel <laughs> and all of a sudden you come out of the other end and you realize you had to go through the funnel. You had to go through the birth canal. Yes. Right? In yes. your case, you had a C-section, but this was your birth canal experience. Where that's all of us, why. That's oh my goodness, it. it makes so much sense now. <laughs> <laughs> None that's of us get, get out alive. That's why we get coneheads. <laughs> But it is, uh, you know, that is a, in my opinion, that is what happens uh, when you, when that moment arrives, you realize it's there. You realize that this makes total sense to me. And of course, people become part of different organizations because it makes sense to them. And the book from Bessel van der Kolk, he's talking about 
people joining a cult or people joining an extreme radical group or they 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 become uh, they become part of demonstrations because that's what they feel they need to do i don't feel that that's <laughs> what you're doing <laughs> you're you're actually tapping into something that is a study those are studies that were done and they actually work so uh, we have a lot more to talk about when we come back when we come back uh, we're going to talk about the emotion code what is it how does it work who is uh, dr robert nelson and then we can go from there so please um stay tuned to we will be right back i need to make a correction first of all in that first half hour, I was talking about Robert Nelson. I don't know anymore who Robert is. I think I may know somebody who is Robert Nelson. This is Dr. Bradley Nelson. Bradley Nelson. And I am so sorry I said it. You didn't correct me. You probably thought I was talking about somebody else. Well, you were actually half right because Dr. Bradley Nelson's brother is Dr. Robert Nelson. Get out of here. And really? he's also a holistic chiropractor. Oh, so interesting. You were not wrong, but Dr. Bradley is Nelson um, is the one who wrote the book called The Emotion Code. Well, tell us about it. Yeah. So um, he is a holistic chiropractic physician and medical intuitive. Mm-hmm. And um, in The Emotion Code, he uh, wrote this book in the first edition came out um, in 2007. And actually the latest edition was just published this year. A couple of months ago it came out, so you can pick up the newest edition now. Um, But he was practicing chiropractic care since 1988 and began speaking and teaching on energy healing in 2000. Um, And this was primarily because while he was working on people, what he specialized in was... um, clients who had primarily acute or chronically ill patients, um, fibromyalgia, things like this. And what he noticed over many, many years of sort of specializing in this area of chronically ill people was that um, there's something going on in their bodies. There was a trend that was beyond sort of just physically what was happening. And his development of the emotion code stemmed from that work and research into the energies that become trapped in the body, Mm -hmm. um, which he then coined the phrase trapped emotions. And um, what he found is that over time, the unresolved emotions that we trap in our bodies, either physical body or our energy body, start to cause disease over time. And that patterning, that trapped emotion, actually tends to attract more emotions to it over time. So in other words, the things that we're not processing, um, it actually further hampers our body's natural ability to heal. Mm. And uh, in, in sort of a cyclical way, um, then prevents us from, or in, encourages the body, I should say, to continue to trap emotions. Yes, yes. So um, the website that you can check out, um, Dr. Nelson does a great job sort of breaking all of that down. I want to just mention is www.discoverhealing.com. 
and they actually just relaunched that website as well. It looks beautiful. There's a lot of incredible information about the technique. Yeah. Um, because certainly I can only um, tap into it, it very briefly here. Um, literally, there's a whole book on it. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what I did want to talk about is um, sort of the foundation of this work is a belief that everything is energy. And for me, that's sort of the one place that we need to buy into um, that then the rest of this work is built on top of. So I just wanted to talk about that for a little bit because I think uh, Eastern medicine does a really good job. You know, energy healing has really deep roots um, in Eastern medicine. And Western medicine was literally developed on the battlefield. Um, That's a good point. It was developed for acute care and people who were in emergency situations of war. And while that's incredible and we need that, you know, if I'm having a heart attack or something like that, please do not emotion code me. Yeah. (laughs) That is not what I need. Um, But that's why the study is so interesting because Dr. Nelson was working on people who had underlying um, chronic conditions. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. um, for me, the importance of how um, Eastern medicine actually has always taken into account a holistic approach to healing that recognizes mind, body, spiritual health as um, being important and having an effect on our physical body. Yes. So, um, for example, Eastern medicine, um, Chinese medicine, we call energy qi um, or qi in some cases, um, or it's prana in India. But this is the life force, and this is the understanding that everything is energy, that um, our emotions carry an energy to them, that the conditions we're experiencing have emotional and mental ramifications, which if we've all been sick or in a hospital or um, any sort of trauma, I think we can all relate to that idea that that experience has an energy to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's beyond sort of the physical. Yeah, you can see it also in somebody's face. It can take physical um, uh, characteristics. You know, you can just see it in people's eyes, in their skin, in their muscle tension. But as I said many times before, if you 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 talk to somebody who has an amputated leg mm-hmm. or an arm, they still talk about itching or pain yes. in the toe or in the fingers mm-hmm. and throbbing pain, even though there's no physical uh, limb anymore. Mm-hmm. The there have been pictures taken. They're called aura pictures, yes. uh, where you uh, it's called Kirlian photography, uh, based upon Russian Russian scientist back in 1947. I even think he was able to take photographs of energy and literally as people would go through changes in what they felt or what was going, what they were exposed to. You could literally see the colors change. In an, in an energy field around them. And it is an interesting thing that when you look at all the depictions of uh, Jesus, he always has this halo around his head, which is pure white mm-hmm. or golden. Mm-hmm. And it, it indicates the energy that he had in his crown chakra, uh, which is on top of the head, 
which was golden, which was white, pure white, the white light of God, mm-hmm. because he was of God. And people saw that or sensed it, but you find it in almost all the depictions of him, or many depictions of him. Um, when you talk about energy, as far as uh, Hans Jenny, a Swiss scientist, did uh, research on sound therapy, how sound creates energy, uh, creates form and sound, even sound that we cannot hear, mm-hmm. uh, a dog whistle, or we are constantly exposed to cell phones. I talk to people, yeah. cell phones, you tell me energy That's doesn't work well. You know, we were on vacation and we were literally, I was sending pictures to my sisters in the Netherlands. There was a communication on WhatsApp (laughs) and we were just literally, I mean, I'm texting, boom, there it was. And they're already reacting back within 30 seconds. And it is unbelievable how I can be on the other side of the world and literally have communication with my sisters, not by voice, but literally with a little hand tool, uh, a phone in my hand, I can communicate. So to me, <clears throat> what science has shown in an unknowing, unwilling way, energy exists. Everything is energy. And and so, yes, I uh, I wanted to emphasize what you just mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. I love those examples. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm by no means a quantum physicist, uh, so I won't go Not too yet. deeply into Not this, yet. but there's still time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... Uh, quantum physics is actually revealing that the atom at a subatomic subatomic level, we're able to measure now that the atom is actually 0.01% physical matter and 99.99, it's actually a continuing 99999 um, space that is vibrating and moving. That's all there is in an atom is primarily the yeah. space that mm-hmm. is moving and um, pure energy. And so in, in this way, if all things exist at a subatomic level, we start to rec- recognize our connectedness to one another, to all of the things around us, to space itself, that there's this lack of energetic separation between ourselves and the world around us, Yeah, which is kind of amazing. It is. <laughs> it is. So um, diving into the emotion code a little bit, it specifically targets trapped emotions, which can actually be found as balls of energy um, about the size of a softball to a cantaloupe, if we're getting specific. Okay. And they are um, trapped in either the physical or energetic body, and they can actually be felt by some people. Um, Dr. Nelson does these great demonstrations where, you know, if someone's shoulder has been bothering them, for example, um, he can muscle test and reach sort of the area, not even physically touching them, but just reach around their shoulder. And as he gets closer and closer and closer to where this ball of energy exists, all of a sudden muscle weakness takes over. Oh. Um, so these trapped emotions, they're simply unprocessed energies. And we know from science that emotions are actually chemically produced in our brains and they're experienced by our nervous system. They make their way through our entire body. They start in the brain, our nervous system processes them. That's actually when we feel these various emotions. And there's a healthy way that our body wants to actually process emotions. Um, Feeling them isn't necessarily a bad thing, that we've made feeling bad a bad thing in in our modern society, I believe. Right, right. Um, So 
these days we're all so busy. We're, we're all guilty of, um, moving too fast. We, you know, things happen and we try to just shove them down so we can keep doing what we're doing. Yeah. We're on a roller coaster and we can't get off the hamster wheel, whatever, (laughs) whatever that metaphor is. Um, it's not serving our bodies and, um, what our body actually does to help us, it sort of goes into that fight or flight response that you were talking about in the first hour, that in a state of overwhelm, our body will actually trap the emotion with the intention of coming back to process it later. And the problem is that we really do come back and mm-hmm. process it later. Yeah. So um, that trapping just allows us to keep doing, to keep being busy, and then before we know it, we've sort of trapped a certain amount of, emo- I like to just call it our emotional baggage at some point. Yeah, sure. And that just starts to get heavier and heavier and then causes this cycle of um, then creating disease in the body. Mm-hmm. So what the emotion code does is identify and surface these trapped emotions. And once they're released, they are that allows them to process and filter through our energy field or be released from the physical body and that is also done as part of the uh the process that you as an emotion code practitioner do once that energy is 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 being coming out to the surface uh, can you give us an example how that manifests because people number one People who work with you, they want help. Uh, they have emotions that they have tried to medicate. They have tried on their own. They've read books. They've gone to therapists. Uh, they just have not been able to pinpoint, identify, this is what happened. How do I get out of this? What you have seen with the emotion code is that the energy you're you're pretty much you're talking quote unquote to the body (laughs) and you let the body say this is what it is i'll bring it out i release it when it is released you got a ball of energy right there what do you do with it you cannot just throw it in the trash (laughs) right good question yeah so to answer the first part of that um how this sort of manifests the answer is anything and everything Um, What Dr. Nelson found is that every condition imaginable has at least some component of an emotional root. And there, I've yet to come across a condition, and I don't believe he has either after so many years of of working this practice, that doesn't have an emotion that can be released. So um, things like anxiety, chronic pain, PTSD, cancer, rashes, TMJD, um, anything physical, mental, or emotional probably has an underlying emotional um, root that can be released. Uh And so the emotion code chart, it's actually incredible. It's a free app and anyone can download the emotion code um, chart. Dr. Nelson felt it was really important to make that available to um, everyone who would be interested in learning how to muscle test on themselves, learning how to release emotions um, from themselves or from their family, which is different than 
the course of action I've taken to become certified. But nonetheless, um, this chart, it has 60 emotions on it. And they're divided into rows and columns. And what we're doing when I'm, I'm practicing on a client or working on myself is we're actually tapping into the subconscious wisdom of that person. And mm -hmm. the subconscious is the recorder of all of our past and present experiences. It leads us to um, all of the information about what emotion is trapped, where it is, and what condition it's causing. We can also find out the age that it was trapped. Really? Yeah. It's actually, it's so interesting. Age um, is one of the pieces of information that the subconscious almost always wants to learn about an emotion before it will be released. Say it again. The age the that the emotion was trapped at yes. is almost always the one piece of information that the conscious self needs to know before the subconscious can work with the conscious self to release that emotion. So the conscious self wants to know that wants to know that date. It's almost like a verification. Yes. That says, okay, yeah, 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 I remember that right now. Yes. Okay, good. All and right. I, I mean it is important actually to note that um all of these trapped emotions, everything that's that's been identified in the emotion code is really working with the subconscious self. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times these are things we're not completely aware of. Um, you know, people will say to me, oh, well, anxiety just doesn't really resonate with me. I don't feel consciously anxious. That's not something I remember feeling. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. For some people, they do. For some people, they don't. But it's important to note that, no, you may not remember because it's actually your subconscious that we're working with. Yeah. So the age is, is really interesting, and I, I identify it with every emotion that comes up. Um, so that's usually what we do. And the way that we do that is through muscle testing, um, also known as applied kinesiology. So we get a yes or no answer from the client. Um, before we start a session, we'll, we'll discuss the intention for what that session is and what their symptoms are. So if we are working on anxiety, if we are working on PTSD, if we are working on pain of some sort, and um, we set that intention together. So when we ask the body, it's a very clear message to the subconscious that says, um, is there an underlying emotional imbalance causing this experience of pain in my neck or um, anxiety in crowds, whatever it is. We right. get really specific. Right, right, right. And this is the part where almost always, or always so far, the body says, yes, there is. There's something emotional causing this imbalance. Right. And so we start to use muscle testing, and we use this chart of 60 emotions um, and get simple yes-no answers from the subconscious. And the way that I do that is actually testing on my own hand. Um, I can, this practice actually works in person, over the phone, and we'll kind of get into how that works later. Yeah. Um, but we, um, we ask the body um, these yes or no questions and uh, rather than me muscle testing on them, which sort of gets exhausting over time, I muscle test on my own hand by picking up on their energy field. 
That's very interesting. I, I, I guess different people have their own have their own methods, right? They do. Just There's- as all individuals, applied kinesiology can be done different ways. Yes. Mm-hmm. And most of most practitioners do tend to work on themselves. It's called being in surrogacy for their clients. In what um, or surrogacy? Surrogacy, okay. yeah. Ah. Which actually works if a person is too sick or in a coma or untestable for some other reason. We can actually be surrogates surrogates for one another as well. Um, So if someone were laying in their hospital bed and we couldn't directly test on them and maybe I didn't want to test on myself, we could actually plug in another person who is physically touching um, the client and muscle test on that person. Um, Uh The sort of, that's why biofeedback works, um, sort of the electricity of that energy of that person transfers through the surrogate and then Uh we're able to test on them. Hmm. So I, I shorten that connection by testing on myself on my, on my own hand. Yeah, interesting. This is Gesundheit with Jacobus. Aaron Chamberlain is my guest now, and we are talking about the emotion code. Good morning, Carla. Thanks for joining. Your name, please. How can we help you? Here's Bitsy with a footnote. Now, here's somebody that not only studied the uh, the emotion connection, uh, she went through it from the bottom up. She grew up in a cult that abused her terribly, and she cut herself, and she just figured out how to uh, crawl out of trauma. She's got a couple books out called uh, The Connection Process and The Completion Process. It's Teal Swan. So you might be somebody from that perspective that you, you must have a, a third of a million uh, followers. So she's been... Uh, What's her name, Daniel? Choice uh, over the years. What's her name? Teal Swan. T-E-A-L-S-W-A-N. Okay. All right, thank you. Yeah. So this, she has written a book also about this kind of topic? Oh, yeah, yeah. She's got about five, six books out. She specializes in that, dealing with trauma from your childhood, from your parents. Yeah, yeah. And the experiences that she went through to shuck off from some severe traumas that she went through uh, of uh, somebody that uh, told her parents, oh, don't worry, I'll take care of her. Uh, as soon as he uh, left with her, then he'd start raping her and abusing her yes. and all kinds of things. Wow, wow. All right, well, thank you so much for the insight. Yeah. Appreciate it. Have a good yeah. one. Thank Bye-bye. you. Yeah. Obviously, uh, Dr. Bradley Nelson is not the only one who uses it. It is just the method that you gravitated towards and that you picked up very quickly uh you felt that it was working immediately for you and you have talked to people already around the world who have talked to you and like you said you can tap into the energy of the individual and actually ask the questions and get answers and then then you give the answers to the individual you uh, we're going to talk when we come back we're going to talk about how a session with the emotion code is working. So um, we can definitely tap into that. But it, it, is, it, it is a fascinating, I know there are different practitioners, health kinesiologists in this area, in this country, that I'm sure you have been inspired by and you have seen and worked with and talked to, etc. It is just that the, the important thing at the end of this first hour is that 
the way you have walked your life, you have discovered this for yourself and it just seems to fit like a glove. And it is something that is going to shape your future. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a it's the first tool in my toolkit is how I like to talk about it as yeah. in hopefully a long line of um, energy work for me. Well, we're going to we're going to keep talking about it when we come back after the break. Stay tuned, please. Thanks again for being here. Thank you. And I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Remedy Health just celebrated its first year. Oh, there you go. And so happy birthday to Remedy. (laughs) That's very sweet. Um, And yeah, so we left off sort of talking about this, how the um, the format of an emotion code session actually surfaces these emotions and then we're able to release them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think what you said is so important about um, the subconscious wisdom trying to communicate to us through our bodies Mm -hmm. and that that often comes out sideways. Um, That really is the case I've found to be true for myself. And I see that in my clients that the things we're experiencing um, they don't necessarily have a direct correlation that we can put a finger on. Like I may be having digestive issues, but I've tried everything known to man in Western medicine to address the mental or physical conditions surrounding digestion. And I still am having those problems. Mm. And to me, that's where the importance of the strength of energy and our emotional state comes into play with all of this. And I think it's important to note, too, um, Dr. Nelson, so beyond the emotion code, there are multiple levels of study. And the emotion code is the first one. Um, He maintains we can get about 90% of what ails us just by releasing these trapped emotions. So it is powerful. But beyond that, uh, the next level of study that I'll be getting certified in is called the body code. And it goes deeper in some regards, but also just wider as to the um, ways our energy is communicating with us. And it actually, beyond the emotion, the emotion code is actually sort of embedded within it. Hmm. Um, But it also goes into spiritual, physical, mental realms of correcting correcting these imbalances so it actually includes the acupuncture system it includes um physical misalignments it has every muscle system every um piece of our skeleton it goes into pathogenic infections and this is where i said um in the last hour that it's so important for us to buy into this idea that everything is energy um what he found as a chiropractor is that at some point in his work, he actually stopped adjusting people physically and he was adjusting their muscle and bone structure energetically just with the power of intention. Mm. Um, so this is the power and the potential of energy healing. And um, so anyway, back to the emotion code. Uh, that's where I'm at now. So let me ask you yeah. then, um, there is, a, there is a kinesiologist in town, and she always makes sure that her own thoughts yes. and feelings are not interfering with the message that she needs to get from the body so she can work with the body. And so she has a way that she actually 
um, balances herself, tunes herself in with the other person so she is totally focused on the energy of that person and helps to bring that out. You do that as well? Yes. Yeah. How do you, how do you do that? So I think every person does it a little bit differently. Um, this is one of the primary reasons I fell in love with the emotion code tool is that I believe it works to whatever level you need it to. And I also have experienced that I get information from people's bodies um, differently depending on their governing belief system. So if someone is um, on a spiritual level aware of and believes strongly in past life um, influences on their current life, I will get past life information that comes up for them. If someone um, doesn't believe in that system, um, then those emotions come up as pre-birth or gestational emotions. Okay. So it doesn't conflict in any way with someone's belief system. And so that's a good example of the importance of indeed keeping your own energy separate of someone else's. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Because you may, the body of the, let's call it a client in this case, can tell you something that may be completely shocking to you. Yes. Because you've never heard of it. Or you look at the person physically, you cannot imagine that that's what they're holding inside. That must be quite uh, shocking at times. But you have to be unattached. Yes. Your personal, at this point, you become a vehicle or an instrument for that body to talk and find an outlet. Yes. Right? It's, it's, you cannot yeah. be emotionally involved in that. It's just you see the train go by and you watch what happens on that train. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's a um, practice that I've been cultivating over the last couple of years. But I, um, one of my spiritual teachers likened that experience to sitting on the bank of a river and watching the river go by. Yeah. And your job is not to get in the river. And... So in that way, I view myself as a vessel or a witness um, for someone who is mm-hmm. going through an incredibly emotional, potentially mm-hmm. painful time. And my job as a healer is to remain absolutely neutral and allow the healing energy to pass through me into them and um, to surface those emotions and release them in a way that doesn't affect me. Because that's equally yeah. important, which is a lesson I've learned the yeah. hard way over and over again in my yeah, life, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is that I don't want their emotions either. And no. I can't take them on or save them. Um, that's a really big one for me. <laughs> yes, of course. So the way that I remain separate, um, I think everyone does it differently. And it depends on your belief system and how you sort of walk around in the world. But Um, I set an intention and a prayer. My space is set up that way, and I set my personal self and my energy up that way. And I am shielded, and I protect our space um, so that any negative energies that are maybe coming out and need somewhere to land, I have stones set up around the room, um, and that's that's where they land. Gemstones. Yes. Yeah. Um, Because they uh, they, they are energy. Yes. 
their energy, they hold energy, and so they therefore absorb some of that energy or what? They do, and um, a lot of it is the the energetic intention and the prayer that I set up with these stones, but they're tree agate, and so they're actually a very natural grounding stone that whose um, energy is one of returning to earth. And so that's where I send, if anything, um, you know, usually what we do with the emotion code is just neutralize the energy. I'm not intentionally sending it anywhere. Like it's a, it's a negatively vibrating energy in the physical body or energy body. And what I do in the, the work with the emotion code, what's energetically happening is we're neutralizing it with the same positive opposite energy. So it should just be neutralized, but things happen. Um, being prepared is really important to me to keep both myself and my client safe. Mm -hmm. And so, um, between shielding myself and the space, um, I ask before I start a session on each person, if there's anything I need to, um, remove from myself before I am able to work on that person. Oh, And sometimes it comes up. Mm -hmm. I've had a couple of sessions, especially when I was very first starting. I did many, many free sessions on people to get my certification. And it was at a time where I was new to the emotion code myself. So I had a lot of trapped emotions as well. And um, because we're all energy, we affect each other um, in that way. And typically what will come up if it is something that will affect someone else is actually called a resonance which is a specific type of emotional energy that causes my energy field to literally resonate with the vibration of that emotion. And so that extreme resonance is something that will affect, um, you know, if I were working on you, it could affect the clarity of the response that I get from your energy field. Totally. But um, the good thing is I don't have to be fully trapped emotion free before I can work on other people. That's the beauty of uh, this work as well. Um, One of my mentors has been doing this for about eight years and I had the privilege of working on her. And let me tell you, it was hard to find a trapped emotion in her. (laughs) Really? I had to work. She worked so hard on the sleeve or something or what? No, she just has cleared so much from herself, Oh wow! Um, both in her personal journey and then becoming an emotion code practitioner herself. Uh. Um, there's this incredible thing that happens in healing. And I think the other healers out there um, listening can attest to this as well, that when we help and heal another person, we help and heal ourselves. Well, sure. And so I... <clears throat> I feel things leaving my body when I'm working on someone else at all um, or someone else. And um, it's just an incredible experience. So anyway, after eight years of that, she literally has very few trapped emotions left in her body and has experienced um, incredible and radical health change. She, um, what brought her to that journey was cancer. She what? She, um, she, what brought her to the emotion code was a cancer to the emotion code. Yeah. Cancer. And she is now um, cancer-free. So. Can you tell me uh, what she felt was the emotional uh, relationship to the cancer? I don't know the specifics of that for her. Um, I know heart wall is a big one, and um, we'll talk about that. The heart wall. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We'll talk about that a little bit more specifically. But um, 
yeah, I think offloading that emotional baggage for her was what was so powerful in allowing her body to naturally heal itself. Because the truth of the matter is we're all fighting cancer cells at all times in our bodies. Sure. And um, the offloading those trapped emotions, um, first of all, it's incredibly uh, a positive experience. It's enlightening mentally and physically you feel lighter. That's almost every single time I end a session, my client will say, I feel lighter, I feel calm, I feel at peace. Hmm. Um, And that's simply because the energies are gone that were causing these um, experiences of anxiety or um, nervousness or being on edge or however that manifests for people. Yeah. That even if we haven't done anything to physically solve the problem, we've released the energetic attachment to the problem. And mm-hmm. a lot of times... That's, all, that's, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We all um, mm-hmm. know the power of the mind and allowing our mind to be free of um, the emotional attachment to panic, for example. Mm-hmm. Panic is a... Um, shame, actually, is a good example. Shame is the lowest vibrating emotion that we've actually been able to find. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I love releasing that from people because the offload effects are amazing. Oh, huh. wow. It's interesting that you say that you started out and you said... My first question I ask, what do I need to remove from myself before I work with this person? Mm -hmm. Um, That's quite a powerful statement. It it shows a sign of humility, Mm -hmm. and it shows that you're literally the instrument and you do not want to bring a dirty instrument into the surgery room. Mm -hmm. Um, You want to make sure that everything is crystal clear and perfectly functioning. So that is really an interesting thing because once the energy is released, you do not want to have any any blockages or holdups that are going to make you in that will influence you how you you take on or receive that energy mm-hmm. without taking it on. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, I sort of like to describe it as. Um, playing in someone's energy field and not in a flippant way because that's not something um, I've had bad energy work um, and I would never want to do that to someone else. So I don't mean playing in that way, but just um, that we all have this energy field six feet around us and um, whether we know it or not, it's bumping up against people and things all the time. And looking back, I think we were talking about my time in Denver earlier. That's a lot of what I was experiencing was constantly being engaged with other people's energy. And it was at a time where I wasn't aware of that on a conscious level and I wasn't protected or shielded in any way. And um, being an incredibly uh, sensitive, um, energetically sensitive person and sensitive to emotions, um, I think that's a lot why the emotion code clicked with me Mm -hmm. so immediately is this is already the way that I walk around in the world. And it came at a time when I realized I was um, looking for a healing modality that I had been, uh, we'll say, a healer in a lowercase sense, um, walking around that way in life. And um, I didn't have any tools. So this was a time when I needed a tool and um, it fit. It fit like a glove and fit with what I already had going on rather than looking outside of myself for another area of study. Yeah. Um, 
that I needed to learn. It was something that brought out the innate qualities within myself. Mm-hmm. I it's it's very commendable. I mean, I I just enjoy, <laughs> like I said in the very beginning, uh, m- many years I've known you, and when you approached me that you were doing this, I was so interested to uh, talk to you at the store, and um, to truly find that you have found this passion because of all the other things that you've done. <laughs> and so it is uh, congratulations on that. Uh, we're going to be right back, folks. Gesundheit with Jacobus. What was it a couple of years ago? What what happened to you a couple of years ago? Why you got in touch with the this emotion core by Dr. Bradley Nelson? Yeah, thank you. Um, so a couple of years ago... Um, well, I had, I had mentioned that about six years ago when I did move back that I had found my tribe of people um, that are spiritually and awake, awake and aware friends and mentors who really sped up my own awakening process. And um, about two years ago, uh, that led me to join a long-distance study program um, from the Center for Sacred Studies in Guerneville, California, and the program is called the Ministerial Training Program, or MTP. Mm-hmm. And I won't go too far into it just because of our time today. I could probably talk a whole show about that experience. Wow. Um, but it um, radically changed my life in almost every way. It's a, what we call an alchemical process. So literally relating back to the study of alchemy and the transmutation of one element into another through a very set series of seven steps. Um, Uh So ancient practice of alchemy. And so that's what it does for people on a personal level. And it actually, for me, was a full mind-body-spirit experience um, that helped me shed layers of ego, fear, things that um, I knew were limiting myself and limiting the connection that I had to myself. And what happened over those two years was um, feeling more aligned with who I am at my core, who I am at my, in my soul and in my spirit. Um, and this authentic, true self stood up inside of me over the last couple of years. Um, so what that looked on, like on the outside was a lot of searching. <laughs> um, I had quit my job. I was working at an interior design firm. And um, about two years ago, I I quit that job and started my own interior design business, which I still have. Um, And what that allowed me to do was free up my own energy and refocus on how I wanted to spend my time. And design, you know, I, I talked in the first hour about my background in architecture and design. And all of that is really important to me still. And I, I think at some point, the two, right now they're a little bit disparate, the, the two businesses I have and those two pieces of my life, but I see how they connect in the future, um, which is really exciting. Mm-hmm. But uh, design is a beautiful lens and it worked for me for a really long time. And then a couple of years ago, it stopped working in that same way. And um, what I, so then it was about a year ago that uh, I was talk- I, I think, by the way, that architecture, what you did, Helped you a lot into spatial thinking. It did, and it uh, it it uh, you learn how to give something a place. Yes, you you learn how to design physically mm-hmm. something 
that needs a certain space. How do you create that? And I think working with energy now, by mm-hmm. the way, architecture is energy too, right? Because yep. it also, you can use feng shui in architecture, especially interior design. Yep. But I think the emotion code that you're working with, it has given you this understanding of space, time and space, energy finding in space, uh, what energy can do in a certain corner of the house mm-hmm. or in a certain part of the body. Uh, in the physical body, in the mind, emotions, um, that may be part of your education. It absolutely is. And also a lot of hard skills of creative thinking or problem solving, um, nonlinear thinking, that there's more than one way to solve a problem, right? A, a whole class full of students is given the same design problem, and we all approach it completely differently. Totally. And also um, the job of the designer is to empathy is huge. Um, understanding someone else's life and how they work, what makes them tick, mm. and um, taking myself out of the picture. Yeah. Um, although a lot of architects have a uh, reputation for their egos, um, that's an aside matter, but ideally, um, what I view my role as a designer is also to get, get myself out of the way so that I'm designing a space that is intended for my client. Yeah. And it's really not about me. Um, so all of that set me up incredibly well for yeah, 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 this yeah. work. Yeah, totally. And in the future, I would like to, um, be working with people on a very holistic level in terms of setting up sacred and intentional space in their homes as well as working them at, on on them as an individual yeah. because those two things transfer. They talk to each other. The spaces that we spend time in affect our energy and vice versa. So, Totally, because they may have a different desire for a space inside the house once certain energies are cleared. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, and even the stagnation, like you said, of, Feng Shui, like there's a reason in the spring, was this an apt conversation for now, um, that we tend to clean out our closets, um, open up the windows, purge out all of the things in our homes, the spring cleaning. Um, that's actually an energetic act um, in Feng Shui. Um, and in Chinese medicine, spring is the time to detox. And so even opening up windows and allowing fresh air is actually um, opening up the house to young energy and clearing out the stagnant yin energy that may have accumulated over the winter. Yes. So it's a great time to spring clean your body of trapped emotions that you no longer mm-hmm. need as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in my own journey, um, about a year into that ministerial training program, I actually, I just celebrated. Um, I was just ordained at the end of April. So ah, congratulations. Thank you. Um, it was really important to me um i I didn't know it at the time (laughs) when i started mtp of course the reasons uh that i started are different than what i see its intention being now but um as a reverend i'm actually able to perform ceremony for other people Mm -hmm. and be a counselor in a way that is um additional to the act of simply energy healing Mm -hmm. um so they work together really beautifully um but my, in my own journey, about a year ago, um, what happened that led me specifically to the emotion code was my mom. Um, she is in Spokane, and she um, has been going through her own waking up process. And I know she's listening, so hi, Mom. Hi, Mom. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, uh, she's my hero. Um, she started working with an emotion code practitioner in Spokane, and... Um, 
worked on her heart wall and started telling me about this experience. And it immediately resonated with me um, such that I went out and did my own research. I actually was, um, I believe, divinely led to um, another practitioner named Dana, who's now one of my mentors. And um, she released my heart wall. And um, the coolest thing about heart walls, so they're actually a very specific type of um, trapped emotions. And oftentimes if a client comes to me and they don't have a specific area that they would like to work on, we'll just start with a heart wall. Um, Mm. Because what it is is um, like an onion of layers of trapped emotions that are specifically around our heart, that our heart in its wisdom of trying to protect us has pulled around itself. And for some people, their heart walls are formed um, linearly one at a time. So maybe as a young child, um, the first time it felt unsafe or too vulnerable or overwhelmed, the heart um, trapped an emotion that was maybe floating around them at at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, For some people, the heart wall is a little bit more symbolic and abstract, and um, it's actually formed for a specific reason in life. So maybe um, a traumatic event when they were young, maybe it didn't start forming until um, they were going through a divorce or something like that. And um, it can be a little bit more abstract that way because what the heart wall does in that case is pull excess energy from either the physical body or energy body, which we have none of except for these trapped emotions. Yeah. So it pulls those excess energy and wraps it around itself. So... Um, It might still look like anxiety trapped from age six, but um, it may not have been trapped at age six around the heart Mm -hmm. specifically. Mm -hmm. So um, what happens in heart wall, it's it's really, really cool, is um, we can actually identify what energetic um, material the heart wall is made out of. And it's different for each person. Mm -hmm. And it's usually a material that they uh, experienced as being safe or as being a positive energy that um, the heart needs in order to sort of keep functioning. Um, And so for some people, a material that might feel safe, I've had um, the wood that their childhood jungle gym was made out of as a kid that they used to play at. That's what their heart wall was made out of. Um, For me, it was made out of sheets of like laundry on a line my heart wall was made out of layers of like linens, like blowing in the breeze. <laughs> Interesting. Um, and so. How was that being determined? I mean, how I that- muscle test and it's an incredibly intuitive process. Um, at the beginning, we sit down and we find out how thick it is. And again, for each person, that thickness, that energetic or symbolic thickness is different depending on what feels safe to them. So for some people, two inches of steel feels safe. For some people, um, mine was several feet of um, laundry linen. For some people, um, I've had a heart wall that was made out of eight miles of maple leaves. Hmm. And so uh, when we connect to one another in a session, oftentimes I'll get messages from their subconscious or from their higher self-wisdom that tells me, and I can hear or sense um, what that material is made out of. But there's also a really pragmatic way to test um, just by asking 
you know, A, how thick it is, and we muscle test for the number, and then B, is it a material softer than wood? Is it harder than wood? Is it man-made? Is it organic? Um, is it liquid? Is it solid? And so um, a lot of it is just intuition, but we muscle test to find out what it is um, and how thick it is before we start working on it. So what's the reason you think that, uh, why there is different material? Uh, um, laundry <laughs> linen seems like, well, it's waving in the wind, so it's easy to fly away. So you would think, mentally thinking here, that your hot wall is easy to get rid of. Mm. Uh, uh, steel, uh, two inches of steel, seems like uh, we need a, we need some kind of a <laughs> we need some kind of steel cut over here, right? But I mean, yeah. how how does that have to do with the intensity which with which you hold on to the emotion? Um, how how traumatic the experience has been uh, hardens the material around your heart. Is that what it is? And and then the other question is. What is the whole purpose of the heart wall, working on the heart wall, if there are so many other aspects of the body that can be healed? Yeah, good questions. Um, so what I found with the material is that it's not necessarily symbolic of um, the strength or the resolve with which we're holding on to emotions, but it really truly is more about what feels safe to the person and why and at what time in their life it was forming. I see. So a lot of times, like mine started when I was a young childhood and I loved playing. We'd like make forts out of sheets as a kid mm -hmm. and I loved playing in between the sheets of the laundry line. Yeah. So symbolically, that was a time where I felt mm -hmm. safe and free. Mm -hmm. um, whereas I worked on one recently that... Um, This woman actually trapped several different heart walls, which can happen as well. Um, her body sort of compartmentalized them and said, this is a heart wall for my young years. This is a heart wall for my mid years. Oh. And um, her most recent heart wall was where the body wanted to start. And it was made out of a w type of wood that was found at the job she was currently working, which is when her symptoms and difficulty started. So it was something that her body trapped readily and symbolically as an alarm bell. Like to me, these are all clues yeah. um, as to why and what's going on at a deeper level with each person because we're all different. Mm -hmm. um, and 93% of the population has a heart wall. So, um, It's a great place to start, you know, to answer your second question, that um, really the heart wall is preventing us from getting clear with ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, our heart is a really strong communicator. It's it's second in line to the to our actual brain. Yeah, you bet. And so um, if we're not be able to get clear with ourselves, then we're certainly not able to get clear with all of the people around us. Yeah. And that's yeah. where removing the heart wall can have incredibly dramatic shifts for people um, in their physical and emotional health. Wow. Very interesting. Good morning, Carla. Thanks for joining today's program. What's your name? How can we help you, please? Yes, I'd just like to add kind of a testimonial to uh, what Aaron is talking about here. That's great. Um, I've attended a couple of workshops put on by C.J. Pawatanen in Helena, Montana. Okay. And... Um, During those uh, workshops, uh, they do, they explain the process, but then they also demonstrate it with people in the audience so that it, 
kind of reinforces that it's effective and it's not something that just, um, you know, kind of out there woo-woo. It it sounds kind of uh, like Twilight Zone stuff, but it's very real. Uh, In one of the sessions, um, I experienced that healing process, and I can describe as the energy left, it was like uh, slowly moving Mm -hmm. through the body. And in my experience, as um, a friend was moving her hand behind my back along the governing meridian. Mm -hmm. With each pass, I could feel that energy move about a foot. Mm -hmm. And then after that uh, had ended and I went back and took a seat, for the next 20 minutes, I could feel that energy slowly continuing to move out of my body down my right leg. Mm -hmm. And then it finally left out of the sole of my foot. It was just a really odd, profound thing, but very real to experience. Did it feel like a like a like a warmth or a cloud no, or cold or what what does it feel it like? A tickling? Like just, just like a, uh I would describe it as like a um a ball about the size of a tennis ball. Huh. And it just it was it was like it was moving through the body but uh not terribly discomforting, but very much that you could feel it. Um, and then once it left, it was kind of like a, a release and a relief. And in another uh, session, there was a um, a uh, gal that uh, got up before the group, and there were several practitioners there. They alternated uh, working on people. And this gal was in her early 20s, and she had been having very terrifying nightmares for months. And she reluctantly attended the the uh, workshop with her grandmother huh. um, because the grandmother thought this was something that would help her. Huh. And during the session, it was revealed that that emotion was tied, or the, the nightmares were tied to an emotion of terror, and that this emotion was actually experienced by one of her ancestors Mm -hmm. seven generations back. Wow. They released the, the, the emotion from her. Um, and the most profound thing was the reaction of her grandmother who broke down in tears. It was Mm -hmm. just, I'm sorry to, it was just so emotional to witness and for her to experience. So your so grandmother almost felt like a healing in herself. Yeah, she, I mean, she was in tears. It was like um, a relief oh. that this had finally been uh, taken care of. Hmm. And the the young woman didn't seem to sense how important this was, but I mentioned that to her after the session with her grandmother present. And, and her grandmother was just so grateful that I had, spoken to her about that, because these sorts of things, I think, not only affect us personally, but they go back to our parents and grandparents and further back. So I really do hope that people can open their minds to at least looking at this and reading the book. I think Dr. Nelson puts out some very uh, interesting stories about how people have benefited from this. Yeah. 
Thank you so much for that's saying a great, that. That's a great testimonial. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you as well. Oh my goodness, that's really... Uh, that's incredible. And, yeah, it is. and I love those stories. And honestly, inherited emotions is something we haven't um, gotten to talk about quite yet. There's so much to talk about, but that's one of the biggest reasons that I got involved in this work because I know... I've known my whole life that there's things that are affecting me. And indeed, we can actually look at epigenetics now and understand that um, our bodies are emotional carriers yeah. and heavily felt emotions by our ancestors um, who, if I just put a blanket statement, we're all in a tough spot at some point. Mm -hmm. um, if they're felt strongly enough, they're actually passed down through generations. And what's amazing is um, we actually treat them a little bit differently. It's a little bit more intense of an emotion when it's passed down like that. But we hold the intent when it comes up as inherited that it clear everyone behind and everyone who have made maybe inherited it as children, huh. um, if we've had children. And it's indeed powerful to see, um, I can actually feel uh, all of the ancestors. They come in, they show up in the room for the clearing. And it's it's usually a really incredible and powerful emotional experience well i i uh, we're coming to the end of the program aaron i hope that you come back and continue to uh, explain things to us how to. this works and how you as you talk about the generation as the caller just discussed as well uh very interesting stuff and i know we have a lot more to talk about going through your agenda of points <laughs> so i i thank you thank, thank you, you for coming thank you for explaining this uh, thank you for enlightening me on it, on the topic. I wish you well, and uh, I really appreciate you came today. Um, folks, Erin Chamberlain, her telephone number is 209, and then it is 8708, 209-8708. We'll be back next week.